the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled, The Great Adoption. That's The Great Adoption, and you can find it online at ReachingYourHeart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time, 24-7. Here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko with the first portion of The Great Adoption. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Dear Father God, we thank you that there are no orphans in the family of God. That we have all started out that way in our journey when we lost you in Eden. But Father, Christ brought the Father deep inside to every one of us. And Father, help us to realize more deeply that what we're doing here, the synergy of all that exists in our ministry is not just for orphans, it's it's for people here and everywhere, but it's for the whole mix of the thing. Today we celebrate what I believe is the favored ministry, Reaching Hearts International, the orphan ministry. Why? Because the justice of God requires it be the favored ministry. Bless us, Father, toward this end. And Lord, the children we can never see and never know, give us in this place, Father, the local support as well as the international support for this to occur. In Jesus' name, amen. Children have had a hard time in the news lately. I mean, who would believe that the courts would allow someone to sue a four-year-old child? But that happened this week. In April of 2009, Juliet Brightman and Jacob Kahn were riding their bikes down a Manhattan sidewalk, totally unaware, totally oblivious of an elderly woman who was walking down the sidewalk too. Swish, bam, they crashed right into the woman. And with the crash, she fell to the ground with a broken hip. She was seriously injured, and tragically, she died three weeks later. The children were four years old, and they had no clue what they had done to the woman. Now, when a person dies, a person's estate can have a way of giving that person a legal life after their death. After she died, her estate sued the children and their mothers for negligence that led to the woman's death. And traditionally, courts have held that children under four are too young to be held accountable for negligence. So where is the legal line drawn in the prosecution of children? The judge ruled in the Supreme Court of Manhattan that a four-year-old child can now be sued for negligence. That's amazing. So as of this week, it is now legal to sue a four-year-old child for negligence. Children, look out. You better be extra careful on the sidewalks and the streets and in the church. Now moving from the legal arena to the political zoo, because that's what we've had lately, national interest and political expediency has taken precedence over the rights of children. This week, the United States State Department, arguing on the basis of national interest, chose to exempt four nations from the Child Soldiers Prevention Act of 2008. Since this act became law, it has been illegal to give military aid to nations who conscript children into war. The Secretary of State of the United States defended the action in a brief statement without elaboration. She simply wrote, this waiver is, quote, 
in the national interest, end quote. Now, when given the moral versus the political choice, our nation has now ruled in the national interest instead of the children's best interest. What a day we are looking at in American history. In the Bible, we discover a God, a kind God, who advocates the interest of children over the national interest. We encounter a just God who goes to war with nations who oppress the orphan and the widow. We discover a deity who claims the orphan over the organization of the church or the nation. And we worship a God who has a heart big enough for a child that no one else wants, that the world has abandoned. Our God is in the business of bringing orphans unto him. We worship a radical kind of God who adopts the outcast and the forsaken because he is at the core of his being a father of orphans. I haven't shared this with you, but I was adopted as a young boy. I am an adopted boy. My mother remarried and it was an adoption. Jesus, when he came to earth, had a mother, did he not? But he was adopted by Joseph and became the son of David by adoption, according to the Gospel of Matthew. I mean, it's something to have a parent claim you And then to start life like that, knowing that you were chosen, not just born into the family. In Psalm 68, 5, the Bible says, A father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. The word fatherless in this psalm is the Hebrew word for orphan. A father of the orphans and a protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. The Bible is saying that we worship a God who adopts the orphan. We worship a God who makes it the business of religion to seek out the child that no one else wants. In Darwin's world of survival of the fittest, there is another world that is far fitter for survival than his. And the love that comes from that finer world has decreed that there is a place in eternity for the orphan. The habitation of God will be the habitation of orphans. We find God as their father because God has chosen them. By definition, our God is a father of orphans. In a sense, there is an orphan in all of us. I mean, if you look deep inside your heart, if you analyze yourself when no one's looking, you know what I'm talking about. In a sense, there is an orphan in all of us. When Israel was overtaken by Babylon because it had abused the orphan, it had failed the fatherless, it had subverted justice according to the Old Testament prophets, it had allowed the adversary to come and crush the fatherless. God rose up in holy and righteous anger and he drove them into captivity. And the prophet Jeremiah cried out in holy horror at the loss of God in the life of the nation of Israel. And he said in Lamentations 5 verse 3, We have become orphans without a father. We have become orphans without a father. Without God, there is an orphan in all of us. When Israel lost God, it became an orphan nation. The promise of Jesus is more than just a promise of salvation. It is the promise that in Jesus you are no longer an orphan. Isaiah the prophet predicted the coming of Jesus in dual terminology. The gift of Jesus is the gift of the Son of God who is the Prince of Peace. Christ, without apology, says at the end of the book of Revelation, I am the offspring of David. But because the Father is in the Son, because Christ is no ordinary brother, He is the gift of God with us, the gift of Jesus is more than the gift of a Son. The gift of the Prince of Peace is the gift of the everlasting Father inside the Prince of Peace. You see, Christ brought more than Himself here. He brought the Father deep inside. 
And so the great gospel prophet Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 6 would say, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The prophet Jeremiah cried out that we have become orphans without a father. And Isaiah declared that unto us a son is given and he will be called everlasting father. I mean, something special is happening in the incarnation. God with us is more than the gift of a son who is a brother. God with us means we are no longer crying out for a father too. There is an orphan in all of us and God is a father of the fatherless. I had the, I almost, when I was uh, in seminary, I almost adopted a young boy. It didn't work out. My wife and I had no children. We were seven years into our marriage, and we were thinking of adopting him. He was a teenager. I'd gone fishing with him at the theological seminary, and we would take weekends off together, and I would go with other children, and kind of as the youth pastor of the church I was assigned to. And one day, as we had relocated, we, he came to our home for what was being planned as a pre-visit for adoption. And he ran away. He was uh, approaching 16. I got in my car and I saw him in a field. And so I took the little Plymouth Horizon with what little guts it had. And I headed into the mud, spurring mud up. And I I caught up to him. And then I ran and I caught him. And uh, he wanted to be caught. He was running away so he could be caught. And I'll never forget what he said as he just fell down in the field, balled up. And he said... I do not know who my father is. That's what he said. I don't know who my father is. I tried to tell him, God is a father of the fatherless, that you have a father, and God is your father. I don't know what's happened to this young man to this day, but I sure hope it works out for him. It didn't work out legally where we could adopt him. The cry of Jeremiah is the timeless cry for a father. He said, we have become orphans without a father. We have become orphans. Where is the father of the universe and the timeless cry of spiritual orphans without God? For century, Jeremiah's cry became the universal and collective groan of the human race and the human family. And then the time came for God to answer the cry of humanity with the great adoption. You see, the only way to bring people into the family of God who were not chosen because of their birth who were not chosen because they were sinless. They would have to be adopted into the family of God. And for centuries, Jeremiah's cry was unanswered until Jesus came. In Galatians 4, verse 4, it says, But when the time had fully come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. He's not talking about them. He says so that we would be adopted. There is an orphan in all of us, and God has extended to us the great adoption. Just before he died, Jesus echoed the truth of Psalm 68, 5 in the Lord's promise. Let's look at the verse again. Psalm 68, 5, a father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. That's what he says. Now look what Jesus says, John 14, 1 and 2. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And then Philip, in the context, blurts out the question that we all ask at critical moments of life when we yearn for the Father of the universe. Jeremiah is right. There is an orphan in all of us. And so Philip says, 
says to him in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Show us the Father, the Father we have never seen. The Father we have yearned for in our spiritual and religious need for Him. And then Jesus said, Philip, have I been with you so long and you do not know me? And then verse 9, He says, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? The gift of the Son of God, dear heart, is the gift of the Father God inside of Him. The Son is in the Father and the Father is in the Son And Jesus often called his disciples little children because Isaiah said he would be everlasting father, not just the prince of peace. And just before his departure, Jesus promised every disciple, these little children he had worked with in his ministry, a future in the family of God, but not just a future, a present acceptance in the family of God. You see, there are no orphans in the family of God. There are no orphans because of the great adoption. In John 14, 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And after a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. And because I live, you will live also. So what does the Father do for those former orphans who have accepted Jesus as the Father deep inside? What does he do for them? More than Jesus comes to us in Jesus. Christ is the package that brings all of God to us. And through the Holy Spirit, the Father of the universe comes with Christ to be with us right here in our present situation. John 14, 23, Jesus answered him, If a man loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. In the context, he's not talking about the second coming. He's talking about right now. As we live in this world, we are not orphans. God is with us. In Jesus, the great adoption has occurred for the entire human race. The emancipation papers of the human race has been signed with the blood of the cross of Calvary, my favorite theologian says. We are no longer children without a father. We are the children of God through Jesus. And it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what life throws at you. And it doesn't matter what people do to you. In Jesus, the great adoption has occurred. At the cross... Christ talked directly with his father about you. And he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He was saying, Father, make them part of the family too. You're my father. They need a father. He was appealing to God to extend the great adoption. And at the tomb, Mary received the first words of Jesus to anyone after his closing prayer on the cross. And the whole universe was asking the question, Is God able to adopt sinful human beings who accept Jesus and make them part of the family? I mean, can God bring them in and make them part of us? Mary was a woman of the night before she met Jesus who made her a daughter of the light. And here's what Jesus said in John 20, 17. Jesus said to her, Do not hold me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God, the great adoption. Mary told them that they are not all orphans. No orphans anymore. God is not someone to not know. God is a father. The great adoption has transpired at the cross of Calvary. The emancipation of the human race. And those who believe in Jesus are part of the family. Years later, John pondered these words given to Mary near the end of his life in his first pastoral epistle. 
Moved with awe and love for God, he proclaimed the eternal and timeless truth that Mary shared with him on the resurrection morning. Tell my brethren that I am ascending to my Father, your Father, my God, your God. And here's what he said, 1 John 3, 1 and 2. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Dear heart, at the heart of the gospel is the truth that God has reached out to you to become part of the family in Jesus. In Jesus, the Father is a friend. He is a Father, and you are part of the family. God is not some armchair deity sitting up there trying to wag wag his finger at you to keep you out of heaven. Have you ever felt that way? God is a father who has reconciled sinners unto himself. Therefore, be reconciled unto him, Paul says. Be a prodigal no more, an orphan no more in your own mind. Let the truth of what Jesus has done transform the way you view yourself And as you come to know that you have been called by election and faith and grace to be a child of God, make it your business to call other people. You see, the plan of salvation is not about you and your feelings. The plan of salvation is about the love of God that loved you so that you can love others. You see, we are not the end result of religion. It's not about whether or not you get a blessing when you come to church or not, or whether or not the church has treated you well or not, whether or not your needs are met or not. Dear heart, the purpose of church is to have the love of God heal you enough to where you can quit worrying about yourself all the time and you can reach out to to save the world that Christ is dying to save or has died to save. The love of God in us, pure and undefiled religion, is not a self-centered, mystical, spiritual growth. It is service for the lost. If you're busy for God, it's a good indicator you know God. So come to the Father who has a hearth for you and be a prodigal no more. The book of Revelation ends with a new Jerusalem, a new heavens, and a new earth. A world without sin and a world without end. Show us the Father, Philip said. Human history will one day end very soon. I mean, Christ is coming. Now, listen, we've been working for our church. I want a new church. How many of you want a new church? I'm going to tell you something that may surprise you. We may never get that church because the mark of the beast may hit before we know it. We may lose the value of the U.S. dollar. We may be plunged in end-time events. So what are we here for? You know, when Elder Cheatham stood up here and he challenged this congregation, we're here to evangelize and reach out to our world for Jesus Christ before we have no world here in this place. Our purpose is not about us. It's about what God has called us to do. And dear heart, it means taking out the stops taking the risks that have to happen. It means putting faith into action and it means living on the edge if that's what God calls us to do because we don't have time to do anything other than this. I mean, we're not living in ordinary days. Every day I look at the, at the television, I sense the news, I see dramatic steps occurring in our country. What's going to happen on Tuesday is going to be a political earthquake that hits this nation. We just don't know what next year will bring or the following year. And I have friends who move about in the halls of power who are right here in this place. And they tell me that's what they're talking about. Dear heart, we are here for the work of God, no matter what it means to us personally. 
And let's bind our hearts in that kind of solidarity and not worry about the personal outcomes that we face. Because we have been placed here for the mission and call of Jesus Christ and nothing less than that. So the book of Revelation ends with the question restated, where is the Father? Human history will one day end very soon and there will be a thousand year millennium when the world rests and it's a desert wasteland until the renewal of all things. And there won't be anything here. The children of God will reign with God in heaven for a thousand years. And then something special will happen. Paul says, Jerusalem above is our mother and she is free. We will live in that heavenly Jerusalem for a thousand years. Revelation 20 verse 1 says, they came to life and reigned with God a thousand years. And then the old heavenly Jerusalem will leave the old heaven as an empty hole in space. The home of heaven will no longer be anything but a hollowed out chunk of nothing because heaven will leave heaven. No longer will angels gather up there for counsel. No longer will heaven's choir sing its songs up there. No no longer will the throne of God and worship be found up there. Jerusalem above is our mother and she is free. And she will freely leave the place she has been for eons of time and perhaps beyond time. We don't know how it works. And she will become a new Jerusalem. Not the old heavenly Jerusalem, but a new Jerusalem that will somehow come down here and start all over again. Revelation 21 verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. It's not just the earth that's going to be transformed. It's the heavens too. War started in heaven. God will create a new heavens out of the great controversy. It says a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them. And then the voice of God is heard. When the old Jerusalem becomes new, when it comes down here, the voice of God is heard in the future calling us from the past to the new Jerusalem. And God says in Revelation 21 verse 6, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the fountain of the water of life without payment. And he who conquers shall have this heritage. I will be his God and he shall be my son. Heritage means an inheritance. A heritage is the legacy you get and the reward you have when the past is gone. Everything we know one day will not be here anymore. And all that we achieve will mean nothing in the end without a heritage for the future. A heritage is that part of the past that becomes your inheritance for tomorrow. It's what you get here that lives on there. John said we are God's children now. We are members of the family of God through the great adoption. We are God's children now because of the cross of Calvary. This is the heritage that will be your inheritance for all eternity. God himself spoke it clearly. He who conquers shall have this heritage. I will be his God and he shall be my son. Psalm 68.5 has so much in it. A father of the orphans and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. There is an orphan in all of us, and God has adopted each of us. The great adoption is the heritage you will carry into eternity. It's the truth you receive here that becomes your inheritance there. 
There is an orphan in all of us and in Jesus we have a forever father. In Jesus we have a forever father because of the great adoption. It is the will of God for the church to be a place for children who have no father or mother here. I came into the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I came to Christ because of two godly people that adopted me after the death of my father, who put me through school, who allowed me to go to college, who made sure I could get married and even helped me out there. It was amazing. Thanks for listening today. If this message is ministered to you, remember there are many more just like it at reachingyourheart.com. If you're a regular listener to this broadcast or if you've just tuned in for the first time, and have been inspired by this sermon, and you'd like to partner with us to help keep these radio broadcasts on the air, you can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. One of our team is available to assist you right now. We believe God is moving across the globe, touching lives and reaching hearts, and you are helping make this a reality with your gift of any amount. These are urgent times, and God has an urgent message. God's message in Revelation is one of warning and encouragement, and it's a personal appeal to all of mankind. It is His final message before sweeping changes occur across the globe, events that will take place just prior to Christ's second coming. You see, God doesn't want His church to be surprised by the events that will take place. He wants His church ready for His return. We have a book titled God's Last Altar Call that will encourage you and help you understand what events must take place as found in the book of Revelation. We'll send you this book for a donation of any amount and pray that you will be encouraged to know that you can discern the events that must take place prior to His second coming. Please call at any time, 24-7-888-244-HOPE. And with a donation of any amount, we'll send the book right out to you entitled God's Last Altar Call. We pray that you will be lifted up by the biblical insights in this book and grow spiritually in your walk with Christ. Join us again next time for another edition of Reaching Your Heart. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.